Team, welcome to the Professionally Offensive Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cabrera. This is the spot where we provide raw, unfiltered insights from some amazing guests. Stand by, you're about to be offended in all the right ways. All right, team, welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with Hope McGregor, pilot turned attorney turned country music rising star. Ooh. Big dreams. Thank you. <laughs> here in Jackson, Tennessee. So good to see you, my friend. It's so good to be here. Thanks for doing this. I can't believe this. This has been, this has been an interesting... We've had uh, an interesting start to our relationship. Where yeah. It started with music, and it now did. it's here with music. Mm-hmm. So back in the day, I played in college. is where uh, Hope and I met. But then as years went by, I gave up on it and you know worked on different things in life. And apparently, you kind of did the same. Yep. And then you came back into it. Yeah, my dad has been joking with everyone that I have been procrastinating on the music career for like 20 plus years. <laughs> so yeah, it's time. We're back. We're back. Yeah. Well, so I, let's get into that. But before we do, I will tell folks that I'm going to, just so I don't forget, I mean, we went to, thank you for allowing us to participate and hang out in your album release a couple of days ago. It was so good to have y'all there. So oh good. Oh my God. What yeah. a crowd. What a brilliant place. That was an absolute gem of a spot to have it at. Hub City Brewing. I mean, yeah. you think about a brewery, and I was telling folks as we were hanging out there, you think about a brewery, and you just you have this industrial warehouse vibe, and you think that's kind of it, dogs running around. But this place has got this almost this old school Texas honky tonk vibe, mm-hmm. which is crazy to think because mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like it's the oldest thing out there. But it, it was in a beautiful venue, and y'all did a killer job up there. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jackson's one of those places, like, I I moved here because I got a day job, Um, Mm -hmm. and in researching it, like, it talked about a hidden gem for a musician, right? Like, a huge music history, but also just, like, a real small town feel. Like, people will tell you that when you get into music in Nashville, like, it's a much smaller city than you think it is, because everyone knows everyone knows everyone, right? But Jackson is, you know, a fraction of the size of Nashville, but, like, per capita musicians, like insane number of talented people but also because it's a small town like a deep investment and hub city brewing is like such a cornerstone to the downtown area Um, but there's so many businesses that are just like incredible spots to hang out and jam and play music but yeah that was our like dream venue and we're just so grateful they let us play there so they should have been grateful back they should be grateful back y'all did a 
killer job. And I mean this very honestly. Most of the time you go to a concert or something, Mm -hmm. typically, and especially with the Rising Star, and you're just kind of like, there's probably going to be two good songs. And the rest of them, we're just going to be nice and smile and just be like, hey, we were part of the journey. Every song ripped. It was amazing. (laughs) I was. I was. And y'all's openers. Yeah. Right? You had Izzy and the Shoemakers. Great people. Incredible. So the crescendo of that night was through the roof. So again, I could talk all night about it, but it is the Matriarch released. You can download it today, right? Apple, Mm -hmm. Spotify, all the things. And so we'll get more into that. But let's start at the beginning-ish. So Hope is started off flying in the army yeah. with one of the coolest aircraft platforms there is with these Kiowa warriors, the scrappy, the cowboys and cowgirl mentalities typically mm-hmm. fly that. So walk us through just how you go from that world, maybe towards the end of that career into how you find yourself playing music now. Yeah. I mean, so music was honestly like the first dream I had, right? Like my, my whole plan was to drop out of high school and run to Nashville with a boy named Tony and my parents in their infinite wisdom were like, hmm, how about no on that plan? Um, and just in like twist of fate, my mom had been collecting all these brochures for colleges, just like really pushing for like, like your grades are too good. Like you're too good of a student to not go to college. Like this would be dumb. Right. Um, And so we kind of got in a tiff one day about it. And my plan at that point was like, well, if I have to go to college, I'm going to go to Oklahoma State, which is where my dad went. It was like an hour from my grandparents. I had some cousins that went there too. And so that was kind of my plan, like go play in the bars and like go to college. And so my mom like picked up the top brochure one day. It's like, if you're going to go all the way to Oklahoma State, you might as well go to West Point and just like picks up this brochure, reads it and says West Point. I was like, fine, I will. (laughs) Just not like, like <laughs> not like the normal way people go to the United States. You're going to Oklahoma. You, you might, might as, as well, well go all the way up. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and I jokingly tell people like I joined the army to piss my mom off, but, um, <laughs> but stayed cause I loved it. Right. Like it, yeah. it really was a good fit. Like, uh, my brother jokes that I'm the only person to ever graduate basic training more relaxed than I walked in. <laughs> Um, and he's probably a little bit right. <laughs> like I learned like, oh, you can't be perfect, right? Like you will fail at something. And so, yeah, I mean like West Point was such a journey for me and, and picked aviation. Cause again, my wise family, my brother said, if they're going to pay you to fly helicopters and you don't do that, you're dumbass, right? What's like, wrong with you? Yeah. yeah. And so I was like, all right. So I did that and, and loved it. Um, but the army divested it and, and it became pretty apparent that a career in the army wasn't going to happen. And I had, uh, met, met a man, got married and moved into a house on a cul-de-sac, right? Like, and that was kind of the plan. We had two acres and two dogs and kind of start filling up the house with kids was the trajectory that we were on. And so the natural inclination is like, okay, family life, like provide and, and kind of, take this really illustrious like army career I was hoping for and what you transition into. And, um, a law degree seemed like the next best answer, you know, like if you can't fly, you might as well. That's a common theme. Yeah. If you're going to fly, you might as well get a law degree. Might as well (laughs) as well. Right. So, uh, well, and I mean, you and I were both law dogs, right? Like we got our undergraduate degrees in, in international law. Um, so it just kind of was a natural, progression out of being an officer, right? Like is to go do some next 
professional type career. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, in, smack dab in the middle of law school, um, ex-husband moved out and my dad came out and stayed with me for a couple of weeks and helped me clear his stuff out of the house. And so I like feed me so I could keep going to school. Right. Cause we we're two weeks into the semester and, um, we're cleaning out a closet and my dad like pulls a, this old guild out of, of the back of the closet. And he was like, you know, baby, how long has it been since you played guitar? And I'm sitting there thinking, and I'm like, I mean, it's been two years since I sang hummed a tune in the shower, in the car. Like it's been two years since I did that much less picked up a six string. Um, and he like got kind of teary eyed and he's like, I think you need to start playing again. And so that was music was a, a salve to an open wound. Right. But through that kind of went, Oh shit. Like, I don't think I'm supposed to be a lawyer. Maybe like, Uh aha, I think I'm supposed to be doing this. So yeah. Did you, but you still finished up. I did. It seemed real stupid to like drop out, you know, (laughs) like, so I figured, well, I'm halfway through and I was doing well. It wasn't like, um, it wasn't like, well, I'm not doing well. Might as well quit and move on. Right. Like I had good grades and, um, knew I'd have a pretty great job opportunity wherever I wanted to go. And so I figured, well, we'll finish this up and, you know, GI bills paying for it. So it's not like I'm taking on a ton of debt to finish up. So yeah, it seemed silly to not finish, you know, speaking of, I mean, totally get the, the, the middle step there before getting back into music, which was going the law route and doing that. I, I call it with I call it Army 2.0, where it's a lot mm-hmm. of us that will get out of the service, and especially coming from the world, and I hate using this word, so I'm so pretentious, it's the only thing I know how to describe it, but like the pedigree in which we grew up, mm-hmm. there's this expectation that builds, and there's a stigma that if you decide to go do something outside of going to work at JP, if you're not going to stay in and be a general one day, then you're going to need to go do a JP Morgan job, a Goldman, work at Amazon, you need to go crush life somewhere else. Yeah. And it is a fresh breath of air for me to see folks like you that are like kind of middle finger to the world and say, I'm going to go do this thing instead. How did you, did that ever, like, as you started to go back down this route of music, mm-hmm. and obviously you're taking it serious, you're not just doing it as a hobby. How do you, how do you combat that? Do you combat mm-hmm. that? Is that mentality or is that thoughts of what other folks might say at a reunion or something back at the you know, Castle Grayskull up there. Is that something that you're bothered by? I honestly, when this started, it was like, you know, write a few songs, post them to Instagram, Facebook, whatever, right? And like, and I had kind of vague notions of maybe I'll record like, you know, a little seven song EP or something. And and I didn't think anything at all about like sharing my music with people until I went to a family reunion in South Dakota and one of my cousin's wives, Justine, she's so sweet. We went on a run together. And she was like, I'm just so proud of you. This is so brave. And suddenly I was like, oh, this is, oh, shoot. Like, people are actually, A, watching and listening. Paying attention. And B, like, this is, like, really, at that time, so much of what I was writing was, like, from the very painful divorce experience, right? So, like, pretty, like, uh, soul-crushing stuff I was experiencing. I was like, oh, my God, people are listening. And then, like... How do I want them to know? <laughs> like, kind of thing. So I didn't think anything of what other people thought until Justine said that. And so 
it wasn't maybe so much about like, what are their expectations of me as like former West Pointer army officer pilot, right? It was more like, what do they think of me as a vulnerable human being? Ah. Especially in the context of fail, like failing in a marriage. Um, Cause at that time, like with everything being like so fresh and, um, and painful, like it still felt very much like a failure. So I think that that's what I spent a lot of time wrestling with is like, how much of this do I share? Like how much of myself am I going to put into a song that then goes into the universe? Um, so I think those were the things I had to start kind of really wrestling with less, less of the, Oh, she's not wearing a suit and whatever. It's more of like, Oh, we're going to see all of the things that hurt you and all of the things you fail at. And all of like, that was the part that kind of started to keep me up at night. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's way more serious. <laughs> yeah. Living up to the expectation of what a bunch yeah. of fellow army dudes and dudettes are still thinking of you. Yeah. Do you, have that thought now at all that comes through now that you've gone past not past probably but now that the the vulnerability of your personal life has hopefully settled a little bit Mm -hmm. does those thoughts come back in now about like your army friends especially when you think about them you know we get all these updates about what they're doing in the service and you know all that stuff does that creep in at all all the time yeah yeah i mean even sitting like picking the songs for this album like i wanted them to all be bangers right yeah. like and and i mean it was arm twisting like the friends i had who came over to help pick out what's going to go on the album like they really had to put their feet down to be like no no this one has to go on right like dog dishes laundry has to be on there for now has to be on there um because i want people to have a good time right like ultimately i want people to be happy and like have fun and some of these songs are like sad right um and i don't play them live a lot just because i want to be like good time charlie i guess um but that's something i'm trying to work on is like exposing my my heart heart to like let other people because there are other people who are in that moment experiencing it even though i'm years past it now like who are going through the hard thing like Friday night, one of my friends, Laura, brought her best friend, Taylor, and Taylor's, like, sobbing at the front. Sorry, Taylor, to tell everyone this, but, like, she's, like, crying at Dog Dishes Laundry, and she's, like, I needed to hear that, right? Like, so I do still think about it, but now I've just kind of taken on the, the idea that, like, there were people who were years ahead of me in a divorce who kind of looked back and helped me step a little faster along the recovery route. Yeah. Um, and so I just kind of look at it like to the extent any of these songs can help people step a little faster along their recovery route. Um, that's how I'm trying to look at it, I guess. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a brave way to look at life. I think, do you find that there's a component of you're relearning how to serve others through this at all? Is that, does that come up as like at all trying to make sense of this vulnerability? Well, and this is, yeah, a hundred percent because I think the army, especially as a woman, and I don't know I don't know that this would be true of every female officer's experience, but the thing I found myself really good at, especially in like a hard charging, very male dominated airframe, right? Like the thing I started to be really good at was like 
when the guys were suffering, being able to bring them in and be like, okay, man, what's going on? And like, and I think there is just maybe this like female maternal thing where like they're a little, a little bit more inclined to tell me what the hell is actually going on Mm. than they are one of their guys. Right. If they even ask guys, don't ask that. Yeah. 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 And, and I think like the divorce has given me like a wildly new perspective on compassion (laughs) and, uh, just how painful life can be and how unnecessary it is to fix it. Like the people who were years ahead of me who helped me through this divorce were the people who knew there is absolutely nothing I can say. Like, but I'm going to sit here and I like the, the handful of close confidants, the number of hours people spent just listening to me cry on a phone because they, they knew there's nothing to say, but I know you need someone to, I needed someone to hear it, right? Like I needed someone to witness it. And yeah, so I think, um, I hope the music is serves as a witness to others, right? Like through that, that feeling. And I think kind of that army training of like learning, learning how to see the person who's going through it and go like, no, 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 like I get it. I'm, I'm not going to say anything. And now going through what I have gone through, like, I know there's nothing to say. Like, there's no solution to this. Like, you just got to walk it. But I'm here with you, you know. How do you make sense of, or what do you tell folks out there who've got whatever their pain is? Whether mm-hmm. it's divorce, mm-hmm. loss of a child, job didn't work out, mm-hmm. weird family dynamics, whatever it might be. Um, you use music. Kind of you're using music. There are probably other reasons, and maybe later that'll develop. But you're using music as a way to deliver and make sense of that pain, and hopefully help others. Any advice or thoughts about as you're going through this journey on how you help other folks that maybe aren't as musically inclined? Mm-hmm. Like, how can they begin to make sense of whatever they've gone through? Music is like my form of prayer. The, the the number of songs I've written that are truly just between me and God, like that I never record, I never write down, but just like sitting on this piano bench, like banging out a tune and whether it's angry, sad, grateful, like music is my form of prayer. And I, and I mean, I mean that in a Christian context, but I think that prayer is just speaking to the universe, right? Like to whatever higher power you may believe in, um, and I think that that, that number one, like I picked up a, a daily m- prayer practice. Like my first thing in the morning is hit start on that coffee pot, take a quick shower, sit down with coffee, open Bible, open journal. And I spend 30 minutes, no music, no podcast. I don't check my phone, like nothing like that. The first thing I do in the morning is I pray. Um, and usually the last thing I do at night is try to write a song and very often it turns into some form of prayer, right? Um, and I think that that would be the num- number one is to pray in whatever capacity that takes on for you. And number two is walking. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can't tell y'all like, I'm going to be that 85 year old woman, Lord willing that I like, they're like, do you know that lady walks like two miles a day? Like, yeah. look at that. Like, that's who I want to be. Right. Like, up on the hill. Yeah. yeah. I know where she lives. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but this old dog and I have logged God knows how many miles. Um, I had listened, heard on a podcast somewhere that the number one way to like improve your memory 
uh, and attention is to take a walk with a friend and solve a problem. And so again, the walks are 30 to 45 minutes long, depending on how, how fast old ladies go in. Um, and no podcast, no music. I'm either talking to a friend, catching up, whatever, or it's just silent steps. Um, yeah. I mean, those, those two things have, have cured over time a lot of, of ailments. So prayer, people helping things, walking. Mm -hmm. You now are moving into this world where like, I saw it yesterday, uh, not yesterday, two days ago when we were watching your album release. I watch how organized, I know that's a weird thing to say. I mm -hmm. think for folks who don't get to a concert early or get to a show early, we just take for granted the work that goes into putting something together. Fortunately for me, because music was also a part of my life at one point in time in a big way, and I've always just been a nerd about that kind of stuff. Is nerd a bad thing to say? I've always wondered that. Real quick aside, is nerd a bad thing to say? I hope not, because I've been called a nerd a thousand times. I'll take it as a badge of honor. <laughs> I think it is. Like <laughs> I heard somebody tell me, like, oh, that's kind of derogatory. And I said, what are you talking about? Like, I use it equally as to say, I mean, that person is a nerd about that. Equally as I am a nerd about something. Yeah. I mean, I'm just way too invested in this whatever I'm into, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, good. All right, so back on topic here. So, <laughs> no. I, I'm a nerd about music, I and mean, so I often show up early when Kelsey and I go watch shows and stuff. Yeah. I'll be there early during setup because I like it. Yeah. And what I recognize is that y'all are really organized. It doesn't mm -hmm. always go that way. There is mm -hmm. a regiment up there. It is almost like an army officer is running the preach show. So that leads me to ask you, what about the service, being in it for so long, mm -hmm. running technical equipment like a helicopter, has helped you organize mm. the logistics of music, mm. if that makes sense. It is so simple. The like the army training is the long range training calendar, right? Like your T plus ninety at all times. Like it, at least in my that was like the minimum length you're looking at. And then as an aviator, like you have annual training requirements, right? Like so. Yeah. You're always looking, okay, my birth month, I'm taking my A part. And so like come April, like I'm in, I've got a doctor's appointment. I've got the flight physical ready. Like I've got to get back in the books kind of thing. Like, so, so much of that was just like kind of making that muscle memory in your brain of like looking out on the calendar, right? Like, okay, what's coming up down the pipe. And so I think just having a vision of not what's here right in front of me, but what is further out on the, on the sideline, um, has just been huge. That just kind of comes second nature, I think after yeah. a while. Um, but then it's also the logistics, right? Like the beans and bullets, like, okay, the show is at five. What's everyone eating? When do we need to order the food so that everyone can eat before the show? Right? Like, like those are just the things again, that I think come second nature. Cause that's what you have to do to plan the training exercise and, and all that stuff. And so, um, yeah, I think, I don't know that I end up thinking about it a whole lot, but it's, but it's that back planning. Okay. Show is at X time. We need to be there X time early to start loading out. That means I need to leave the house at this time. That means I need to have the set list to the guys by this time. You know, like, yeah, I think it's just like kind of second nature at this point. Do you find that that will potentially be, if not already a competitive advantage with, with making it to where you mm. want to make it to? I think it will be an opportunity maker, right? Like, especially 
there are place like places and venues and events that book a year in advance, right? And so if I'm also looking a year in advance at my calendar and I'm planning that far out, I have no problem calling people, emailing people, talking to people, and I have some idea of what my July 2024 looks like, right? Yeah. So I don't know that it's necessarily like a competitive advantage with other artists, but I do think it's there will be oppor- I hope there'll be opportunities that I'll be able to make a way for earlier than folks who are, who don't have that same kind of muscle memory of long range planning. Yeah. I'm giving away trade secrets. I guess. No, I but I, well, it's all in the execute. <laughs> I learned early on that like you can share these ideas, but you has got to actually execute on them. And that's always harder. Harder. Right? Yeah. 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 So what you're yeah. saying is like, Hey, look, I think it's going to allow us to open doors, get to places that mm-hmm. otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity for. But at the end of the day, there's still this level of, talent and gift and timing that you have Mm -hmm. to have Mm -hmm. what do you where do you feel confident about that part what makes you feel confident or maybe you don't feel confident how do you feel about hope mcgregor being good enough or the world being good enough to understand your awesomeness Mm -hmm. maybe that's a better way to say it Mm. to go the distance in this and whatever that means you know yeah hmm I am so grateful I've come back to this at 32, 33, 34. Because um, I know what's important. I'm so not worried about Instagram followers. Mm. They're a tool, right? Like the number of followers maybe gets you in certain venues, but I'm not losing sleep over followers. You know, like I'm not worried about who said what about who in the parking lot after the show. I just, so none of my business. Like there are so many things I know that if I had been doing this at 18, I would have lost my identity in, I would have lost my mind trying to manage. Um, so I think there's a level of just like maturity, you know, the, the background of like a literal war zone. Like when I can go to bed at night and be like, nobody's dying over mm-hmm. this, you know, like, I'm not going to lose my cool over the little stuff. Like making music is such a gift and to, to get wrapped up in the silly stuff. I think, I think that will help. And also just being like a good hang man, like knowing how to have a good time with people. I think that that's going to help be a longevity building thing. Um, And I can't not write, you know, like having given it up for so long, like, I'm not worried that this album contains all of my best ideas or all of my best music. Like there will be like when people are like, Oh, I'm sorry. So sorry. I didn't, so sorry. I didn't make the show. It's like, there'll be another one. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not quitting. I think that's the thing is there's no time horizon for when this ends. Right. Like I know I can always go back and make money. I'll flip burgers at McDonald's. Like I don't care. Like I'll always eat. Like that's never a concern. Um, so for me, it's just like knowing in the deepest part of my bones, like, this is what I, I have to do to live. And so there's just not like any quit there, I guess. No, it's a, you feel like you're, what I hear you saying, you feel like you're already winning. You're doing, yeah. the means is the end, the end, whatever you want to call yeah. that, right? Getting yeah. to this thing would be great to wake up one day and be like, wow, I just booked out the Astrodome. That's cool. Yeah. But I'm also very happy with 
filling up Hub City Brewing the other day, mm-hmm. right? That, mm-hmm. yeah, it is interesting perspective. I do think that there is this, there is this perspective I think we have as humans that there is this finish line, mm-hmm. and that finish line can be um, very anxiety-producing for people. You know what I mean, Lucy? If we all were yes. acting like dogs more, I think we'd live much happier lives. Like, and this lady is winning in the ways that she can be. We had a listen. I tell I tell people all the time if reincarnation is real, I want to come back as my mother's dog. And they're like, not her daughter. I'm like, no, I want to come back as her dog. Are you kidding me? They live in the lap of luxury. I want to live my best life the way it goes. Yeah, yeah. So talk to me about band dynamics. That's something oh, yeah, that I think yeah. insight wise, folks don't always get, you know insight into how that works Mm -hmm. so talk to me about when you put this album together putting together the putting together two things i want to know about we're going to go band first then i want to talk about how you begin to write and decide what goes into it Mm -hmm. but on the band side of the house how do you do that is this you going out there and hiring some randoms and putting them together and saying just play this go or is there something more in depth than that from from this project i wanted to work with people who i knew like gave a shit about it yeah um and and they're like core people to it, right? Like I I I write with Mason a ton, and he's an insanely talented musician. Um, and there's a bunch of songs on the album that he's a co-writer on. And so, like Mason, no question asked. Like it's we're working around his school schedule of like when are we recording this? Because he was just no brainer there day one. Jake Davis there day one, right? Like the first other musician in Jackson I played with. And can you not hit the microphone, sweet angel? Thank you. She's falling off. Oh, no. Oh, no. Let's <laughs> take a brief interlude so Lucy can rearrange herself. Okay. You good now, lady? I love that. That man. old lady grump. Okay, sweet girl. You got this shirt all tangled up. Okay, there we go. Oh, my goodness. So tough. Okay. Um. So, no, I did not. None of these people were randoms, right? Like, they're all people I had played with at some point in time and so um or at least knew around Jackson right like bringing Izzy in for background vocals like I've heard her sing and play I know she's talented I hadn't gotten to work with her yet in a band capacity but man like she cared and she was interested and just took some of these songs to the next level so yeah, no, no one was no one was a random they were all people that I had like played with out in town like at a pickup there's so many bars around here that like you show up and if you're a musician, they'll be like, Hey, get up here, play a song, you know, like, and it's just so warm and welcoming. So I've played with each and every one of these folks at least once or twice. And so, yeah, it was, it was pretty easy to put together a team of, Hey, you want to record an album? Like, yeah, I'm there like blocking off the calendar. So yeah. How does it go when you, when you put that and build that team? First of all, I figured that was the case. Y'all had chemistry out there on stage that isn't just like some hired band and like, let's Mm -hmm. rock. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of just great chemistry up there. The process of doing it, can you give folks an idea of, you know, what does that look like? Is it, you know, what is the, is it squeezing time in because everybody's so busy and you got to make sure the stars align? Is it blocking off time? How do you put together an album like this? What does that look like in practice? Uh, I mean, this one was, my boss was going to be out of town one week in July. And I was like, all right, can we make this? And like Mason's out of school. Got it. Like Jake's good to go. They were pregnant. Baby's not going to be here yet though. So like, okay, good. Like he's got time. And then 
and then yeah the stars absolutely aligned that like the studio was open and then our producers evan and and james had the time on their calendar because evan tours with um ray fulcher i don't know if you know that name at all um so he was but he was going to be in town so that worked out well so there was a little bit of both right like kind of the core crew had these dates available and then everyone else kind of made room on their calendar um but again, like that's one of those like great army blessings, right? Especially as an aviator, I worked with all these warrant officers who had hundreds of thousands of more flight hours than me, two or more combat tours than me. A bunch of them had been former ground guys who went aviation and, um, and man, oh man, if I didn't learn real quick to go like, okay, I know you know more than me, like show me how to do this right. And then there was like this exchange of trust of like, they taught me how to do that. So they know I now know how to do it the right way. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so, and so there's just like an immense level of trust that gets built there. And like, I told one of the guys working on kind of arrangements for songs and stuff. They were like, well, tell us what you want. And I'm like, listen, I don't play pedal steel. I don't know how to tell you what I want. Like I brought you in cause you're the subject matter expert on this. Like you tell me what you think it needs. And I can definitely tell you if I like it or I don't. But like, tell me what you think it needs. It's like, it's like going to a buffet and you only know there's a salad bar. Like if you know there's chocolate cake around the corner and you don't tell me, I'm going to be pissed. I'm going to be pissed. What are you doing? I want chocolate cake too. You know, like, so, so if we're limited by what I can communicate to you, like that's going to suck. Like I need you to be equally invested in what this becomes. And so that was also a huge part of like, who do we ask to bring in and stuff is, is, who's going to help make this a beautifully decorated chocolate cake. Like, cause I don't want to be left at the salad bar. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, and Jason, our bass player on this was just a huge help with that. Cause he's got 30 years of doing music and studio time. And, and he, and I, and I love the way he mentors, uh, cause it's never like, this is the right way to do it. And you must do it this way. He'll tell you what he screwed up yeah. and what he learned from it. And then you can take that and like apply it to whatever it is you're doing, right? Like he'll tell it, he said before we started recording, he's like, just make sure you got something planned on the back end of recording week because you're going to hit a real high and you, you were just be prepared for the bottom out, you know, like, and just to know he went through that. I'm going to go right. Like, so yeah, I mean, we got, we got some incredible folks in and I mean, managing that team was like, so I had. Joseph, I had like written a five page speech. <laughs> I was going to like give it the beginning about like communication. And I'd made all these like terrible aviation references, like trying to do like a two way communications and like three, three way transfer of controls. I've got like, oh my God, kill me. Um, didn't need it. Right. Like we showed up and just like, we had practiced and rehearsed and knew what the first step was going to be. The first note of the first song, like on the downbeat and it, and hit record and go. And from there we were just off to the races, man. Like there was. Once we were there, there wasn't a ton of managing. Like everyone kind of knew what they needed to do. Mm. Just like I mean, you talk about your um, the advice you're giving about those things. Is, it's like any good senior warrant or senior NCO who gives a hoot. You know, I've always bet that the the best NCOs were always the ones in the service that like understood that if they made they took time to invest in making sure you were successful, like they were going to be very happy too. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it wasn't you versus them thing. It is cool to hear like how that understanding of human dynamics work in that world and you said something earlier a few minutes ago about in in a way the blessing is that you started officially later 
because yeah. you have that clarity of what it needs to look like. I can yeah. imagine brats on stage just telling people, or or maybe even worse, just having no clue to ask anybody about anything. Yeah. So, you know, band shows up and it's just like, well, artist lost it again. So who cares? As long as I get paid, I'm out of here. Yeah. That's an interesting thing to think about. In a lot of ways, does that make you feel, I mean, you mentioned earlier the journey is the point, but in a lot of ways, does that also make you feel that like time doesn't really matter about this thing? Cause you feel kind of like you got caught up. Yeah. I like, um, I mean like time, time is precious, right? Like, so it matters in the sense that I want to be doing what I'm meant to be doing mm-hmm. as many moments of the day as possible, but how fast it takes to get wherever it is. This thing is going is, um, man, I have, I have pushed and pushed and pushed to achieve certain goals by certain deadlines and it never works. Mm-hmm. It never works. Like it feels good either. Right? No. And, and I mean like, and this might sound crazy to people. Right. But like, I got married because I thought that was in large part what I was supposed to do. That was like, I'm like coming up on 26. Like that's the next thing that you're supposed to do. Right. And so like, I just, and this was again, like, um, Pam Cutright is like my divorce Yoda. And she's like, did you just pick someone you thought was good enough and like made it work? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, been there, done that, you know, kind of thing. Like, and so I I just, I'm like not in a rush to do the thing next that I think I'm supposed like what the world's telling me I'm supposed to do. I'm yeah. like in a hurry to do the next thing that I'm supposed to do. If that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I There's a song on your album, and now that it's not top secret anymore, it got declassified. And so yeah, it's uh, out there. there's a song on your album that I absolutely love. I, I don't want to call it my favorite yet because um, I want people to make their own favorites. Yeah, yeah. But I will say it's up there. Okay. And so it is a front runner for me. And it's the song you wrote. It's called Make It Sweet. Mm. And I love that. And I think what you just said reminds me of, of listening to it just even a few minutes ago or mm. maybe uh, longer than that now since we got in and started recording. But can you talk about the inspiration of that song? Sure. And what you hope people get from it? Mm-hmm. I'm going to rewind the there was a time in my marriage that I was really suffering and and very depressed um and like suicidal ideation level right like it was not well um got into therapy got the help I needed and learned pretty pretty slowly that like you can make choices like there's your feelings are going to be your feelings right but like you can make choices that are either going to hinder or help you Um, and I think there are a lot of people who are making choices unknown, like unknowingly that are hindering them, not helping them. Right. Like, and, and you and I both know, and Kelsey knows like life goes quick and we've seen a lot of friends and, and service family members like die in, in the line of duty, right. Like, or in a training accident or something. And so it's, it's no shock for us really, like in the same way, maybe it is for other people when someone has an untimely death. Right. And move to Jackson and and get really plugged in with a church crew here and, um, and was just welcomed 
part of the team with open arms. And that was such a huge blessing. And, and one of the folks I hit it off with really quick was Jessica Platt and they live just a few doors up the road. Um, and I was actually in Nashville, April, 2023, sitting in my friend Sarah's apartment at 8am getting ready to write a song. And the pastor texted me from church and he said, uh, Jessica wanted me to let you know that Rob, Rob died last night, Jessica's husband, and he had just turned 40. Right. Um, and so I pick up the phone and I call and I was like, do I need to come home? Like, like I was supposed to play Monday night at a writer's round. And I was like, I like, I'll cancel. Like they'll find someone else. I'll come home. And and he was like, no, she says she wants to see you tomorrow though. So I play the writer's round, get home, go see her. And I didn't know Rob well, unfortunately. Um, but had spent, uh, some time with him talking about men and there was this guy who was like maybe on the table for me to date maybe not but he just like wasn't making a move wasn't making a move and and I was had had their son Noah over to help with some yard work and I dropped him off at the house and standing in the driveway talking to them and um and Rob was just so encouraging he's like men are stupid like you like you just got to say it right like you just got to get out there and say it um and that, and, and I just, I will always picture him like standing in the driveway saying like, men are dumb. Like you just got to say something, right? Like, um, and so we're, you know, I come home and I'm, and I'm there with Jessica and, you know, a few, uh, I think maybe a week or so went by and, and the funeral happened and, um, came home from the funeral and just like sat down and wrote that chorus, right? Like, and, and I know for a fact, like Rob wrote that chorus, right? Like, but it came through me. Um, and so then like trying to work in the verses, it's like, okay, Rob, like, what do you want me to say in these verses? You know, like, and I think what I heard him telling me was like, you can make a choice to either make this thing happen with this guy or not, but like kind of quit bitching about it. If you're not, you know, um, like make a choice or don't, but like, let's move on. And then just like thinking back to my experience of like going from this place of deep unhealth to a place of health, like the daily tiny decisions to get there. Right. And so that's kind of like the big chorus, like life is short, man, make it sweet. But then those verses are just the encouragement. Like, yeah, shit's going to be hard, man. Like, but you've got you've got daily choices that you can make to to get to that that sweet sweet spot. So yeah, yeah, it's such a lovely song. It's warm. It's one of the greatest. Uh, it's a cruising song for me, anyways. It's yeah. just like something yeah. that just it's it's got levity but depth to it. There's yeah. something about that song. It's special. Thanks. Um, and I love finding those songs in a well one one you guys sang it brilliantly at the show, but I think also. Um, to me, it's always great finding those little special treasures in an album mm-hmm. that maybe aren't highlighted, but yeah. they have just deep meaning. And I think songs mean hopefully a little something different maybe to everybody when they hear them. Um, but that's such a cool reminder that about how short life is, mm-hmm. you know. And I like the make it sweet part. I think what you've heard is a version of life is short, make it count. Mm-hmm. And that's hard, right? Because mm-hmm. now you've just made that really ticking time bomb very apparent like did you do anything with your life no well, then what are you doing it's only short go 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 mm. and the make it sweet part for me reminds me that like the daily act of kindness or something easy especially if tomorrow ain't gonna come is all that matters yeah 
Rob saying that thing to you, it'll yeah. stay with you for the rest of your life. That's my life. And it's funny because he didn't make it count. He just made it sweet. He made yeah. it, it in that moment. Yeah. It counted to you, but it wasn't like he was trying to like know that, right? Yeah. yeah. It's impressive. I uh, And there's a ton of songs. Your, your album is full of those things that have meaning. Talk to me about like how as audience, as listeners, as folks who love music, we may not always, I'm saying this, you're not, but I would love to get your perspective as an artist. We may not always realize how much heart and soul goes into mm-hmm. and just complete rawness goes into writing these things, mm-hmm. you know? And I think I feel bad even like being mad that like, oh man, this artist just canceled on us with the F, you know, and just getting real pissed off about that. And you realize like, they're putting some real stuff out there, stuff mm-hmm. that you would never dare air your laundry about, but mm-hmm. they're going out there in a public way and putting what they want on the line. That's what makes the music so good. Um, what are some things that you would tell the audience that if they open their mind to a little bit more, they might actually enjoy some stuff more than maybe they've given it credit for by just randomly putting the radio on? Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Like, what are some things as the artists talking to the people who are the listeners you'd say, you might enjoy the show more, you might enjoy this song more if you just did a little bit of this or maybe understood a little bit of that. I think music has become such a commodity and it has become such a background noise. I think if I were to encourage anyone to like do something different, I would love to see people start picking up like an actual album, whether you're listening to that through a streaming platform top to bottom, or you have like a physical like vinyl record or CD or something. And I would love to see people like play a game of checkers and listen to something top to bottom. Yeah. Cause I don't like, and, and I, I'm not in Nashville, but from being in relationships with some folks in Nashville and, and riding with them, like, the trend kind of now, especially with the way Spotify runs runs their business, is, is to just release singles. A single here, a single there, a single here. And man, like if we could, as a community, slow down a little bit and, and start to appreciate a body of work as opposed to an individual three-minute song where they're trying to hit you with a hook in the first 30 seconds. Yeah. Or people are trying to time their chorus to a min- like a 30-second interval so that it's like, on a reel and goes viral, right? Like it's like too scientific, right? Yeah. yeah. It, 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 if we could sit down and start to appreciate an entire body of work as opposed to a snippet here and there. Um, I think that, I think that would be pretty transformative for people. Slow it down. I, what would you, how would you ask us to think about Music in general is also, in, when you say a body of work, let me back up. Mm-hmm. I've had uh, 17 thoughts just go through my brain at one time. So what you just witnessed was that, <laughs> but it's coming. Okay. So as you talked about enjoying a body of work, I immediately started thinking about how much we also as listeners and as people who can appreciate music, mm-hmm. and that's most of us in this world, we can appreciate music. Um Thank God, man, he put that in us to like have this interesting way of just like naturally gravitating towards song. It's just whether we heard this song before, it doesn't yeah. mean anything. Yeah. But it's funny that we can appreciate it so deeply and at the same time marginalize it because like I ain't paying for that. Point in case, I think about artists that um, 
they're playing, you know, in a corner at a bar somewhere or whatever. And you don't think about wanting to pay them for their time sometimes. Like, hey, mm-hmm. we're throwing on this shindig. We're doing a release of this new product. Mm-hmm. We need a band to come play. Mm-hmm. Would you come in? And um, how much do you charge? And it's weird that we immediately don't think that whatever price you throw out there is probably mm-hmm. seems too much. Mm-hmm. Like, what well, my niece or my nephew plays guitar. Like, why would I pay you this? I, my point to say that, like, it is weird that in society that we don't always value artistic value as much as we would value somebody doing plumbing or something on something Mm -hmm. for us. Mm -hmm. The amount of work that goes into that is important. What would you, how do, how can we better think about maybe valuing the artistic thing or why do you think that exists that we have such this kind of disparity in art that takes so much work and effort and vulnerability and like our inability to want to pay for that? I mean, I think a a huge part of it is just like our human uh, inclination to appreciate what you see and not do any digging about the time it takes to get there. And and is it, there's like some Shakespeare story or whatever that like some lady comes up and is like, can you write me a sonnet? And he writes a sonnet and he wants like, you know, a thousand pounds for it or whatever. And she's like, but it took you five minutes. And he's like, yeah, but it took me all these years to be able to do that in 15 minutes. Right. Like, yeah. And I think like for every gig you go watch a musician at, right? Like they probably, and if they have a band, they probably had a rehearsal for that show. That whole band had to load all their gear, had to get their X number of minutes, hours early to set it all up, to sound check, to play, to tear down the, the, (laughs) the amount of coordination that goes into even just booking a gig anymore, right? Like sending out a hundred emails to get 10 back to then have five that pan out, right? Like I just think, we as humans are inclined to, to even for the folks who appreciate the hour and a half of music and gave you their full attention, they're like, oh, well, that was only an hour and a half. Well, it's like, yeah, but you need to backtrack <laughs> to all the logistics that took to get to that hour and a half, much less if you're seeing an independent original artist who's writing their own stuff. Like yeah, the hours spent banging at the keyboard to write and refine. Like I think, it's, I think maybe there's just a piece of humanness in there that it just kind of goes over the head of the hours it takes to get there as opposed to someone with a trade who, you know, went to the trade school, who, you know, hired, got hired at that job, who went to three, like there's, I think maybe more of an understanding of that, but when it comes to music, maybe it's not as clear. Yeah, no, I think you're right on. And as you were saying that, it made me think, and also the life scars that person had to get to write (laughs) something that moves you that way, Mm -hmm. whether it's that person, that song moves you because they went through a divorce to make that song happen, or that song moves you because they lost everything in a fire. Yeah. Right. And so I think it is that, and if anything, it makes me feel better that like when you're, when you're listening to this stuff, that there's value behind it. As you're thinking about like where you want, where y'all are going next, where Mm -hmm. Hope McGregor, Mac attacks and everything else that's going moving forward. Two things. One, what do you hope, what is, I know the finish line is maybe not as important. Yeah. But if there was a daydream, what does that look like for you? Where's hope in 10 years? I want to write a song with Lori McKenna. (laughs) That's like dream number one. I would love to play a show at the Ryman. Um, Actually, so one of my friends... Uh, her little girl had a school project to, to do like a diorama about Jackson culture. And so she printed out a picture of me and printed out a picture of another local artist and then a picture of Brandy Carlisle and like put us on popsicle sticks and like stuck us on the shoebox stage. 
And I was like, and I jokingly said, that'll be the only time I'm ever on stage with Brandy Carlisle. And <laughs> Megan was like, you never know. I Like there, there are obviously like artists and other writers that I like in a dream world I get to work with. Right. But then there's this other dream of, man, I want to take some people with me, you know, like to the extent that like my name and then our, like our songwriting and and music like goes anywhere. Like there's just a team of people who have grown to like love and and count as family. And, and to the extent this gravy train goes anywhere, builds towards anything, like that would be a huge dream come true. Yeah. I call it like the, um, the people around the fire, right? Yeah. 20 years from now, 40 years from now, yeah. where you're sitting there and being like, we did that together. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, that's pretty special. What do you want folks to know about hope? What do you want them to know when they're listening to your stuff? What do you want them to know who's behind that? Like as they're listening to a million people they could listen to, mm-hmm. if they wanted, if you wanted them to just give you an extra second to consider your music, mm-hmm. what do you want them to know about you? Oh, dang. <laughs> Mm. My inclination is to like make a joke, right? And be like, I put my underwear on like everybody else, one <laughs> leg at a time. Um, or is it pants? I put, oh shit. It's yeah, pants, I go two it? legs on the underwear. You kind of, we've been cruising around the van, so you sometimes you just think. Just one at a time. You sit down and <laughs> hike them up. Oh. Interesting. You know, this is totally unnecessary to share, but I went through a real series of months where I kept putting my underwear on inside out. I would get to work and I'd be like, what (laughs) happened this morning? Luckily, they weren't the same that way, though. (laughs) So y'all heard it here. What you want people to know. What I want people to know is that I put my underwear on inside out. Um, Gosh. I want people to know that it's freaking honest. You know, like I, I love country music, and and um, some of the stuff on this album is not at all country music. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some stuff that's very much a rock song, some stuff that's very much a blues song, um, and that might like be confusing a little bit, like to go from a song like "Make It Sweet" and as my uncle Billy says, "The People's Key of G." Um, he says that all the time. It That's cracks so me good. Up. Though, yeah. He plays that. mandolin though. So he's just like, <laughs> he loves the people's key of G. It's yeah. great chords for him. Um, but, but maybe sometimes like the songs like sound weird together. Like they don't, people are like, what genre is this? It's like, I don't know. Like it's a little bit of everything. Um, it's the hope genre. Yeah. It's, it's what I like. Um, I just want folks to know, like, the songs are freaking honest. Like, that they come from a real place. And it's not, you know, country music is doing what country's music it's doing with the trucks and the beer and the girls and all that stuff, right? Like, um, if you don't like it, great. But, like, at least it's it's real to me. You know, like, it's, it's, an, it's an honest song. I can promise that um, through and through. So, yeah. Well, you yeah. hear it, and I think folks will know that as soon as they tune into it. So I appreciate that, and I, I think y'all are, you are a part of this incredible wave. Me and my scientific understanding of country music, I'm going to tell you, you are on this wave of reigniting, like just call this a renaissance, like a reengagement or revolution, whatever you want to call the word. Let's just make it more simple. This redefine, like remembering. Mm-hmm of what that honest music is like. I think there are a lot of great artists now that are coming in there and folks are going, oh man, I forgot what that sounded like. 
you know, because we're used to the 35-inch rims on the bass and whatever. And I, there's a, maybe a time and a place for that. Yeah, but yeah. there's songs that come through the radio and you go, oh, man, that's what it felt like back in 1993 when I remember The Garth out. Brooks double live album. When will Alan always be, yeah, put gospel yeah. music in the country. Like that kind yeah, of stuff. And yeah. it like ignited you differently, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So thank you for being a part of that wave of folks that are doing that. And I think it's, regardless if it does catch or not, which I think it will, I think it's amazing yeah. that it is honest. You know, well, and I think there's something cool too. Like, I think regional music is like really making a comeback. Mm. Like, I know, like, when I tell people I'm an artist and I don't live in Nashville, but I do live in Tennessee, they're like, you got to move to Nashville. Like, that's always the answer is like, you have to move to Nashville. You have to move to Nashville. And I love Nashville. Like, I love going there to write, I love going there to do writer's rounds. Like, there is something special about Nashville, right? But man, I came from North Carolina and if there ain't a big push in North Carolina for this regional local music scene, and I know Texas, Austin's the same way, right? Like there's that red dirt dirt country. Yeah. Like, um, and I mean, I've got cousins in Oklahoma who are like really pushing like a Stillwater music scene and are doing so much work to make that a reality. And like with streaming and, and so much technological advancement in home studioing, I mean, just being able to do this here now, like, yeah. I think there's going to be a a really nice wave of some regional music that isn't super controlled by a label executive. I mean, you, like you saw it with like Zach Bryan, mm-hmm. right? Like this, is it Oliver, Anthony Oliver? Mm-hmm. Like, like you see it with these people who are putting stuff out there that it is resonating and it is independent of whatever that label record executive said you had to do. Yeah. And I think that that's going to be aside from like pushing a particular genre in a certain direction. I think that's going to be huge for all genres of music. I would agree. And I love the, I mean, getting back to eating local. So might as well listen local too. Yeah. No, oh, no I like that. Like that. Eat local, listen local. Look. We're going to make t-shirts now. <laughs> <laughs> Take it. I think, I mean, it's such a, it's refreshing to hear and you're right. The Texas music scenes are really great. People will never heard of the Randy Rogers band or Aaron Watson or cross Canadian ragweed or, um, who are my other favorites out there? You know, Wade Bowen, but you go down to Texas and it's like, they might as well be Garth Brooks down there. Mm-hmm. And there's something, they're still performing around and it's still homey in this. They like, they still show up to the hub city brewings after being multi, multi, multi mm-hmm. millionaires because it's the right thing to do by the people who yeah. want to and, and built them. So I love that before I ask you the last thing and I can talk to you for hours. If you had to tell folks like, what are your inspirations in music? Who are those mm-hmm. people that you kind of pull from? You know, as, or you remember even being young and being like, I always love the way those folks sang and that kind of maybe inspires you. Yeah. I get like, they're going to be like people tied to times, right? Like Josh Turner accompanied me. I was, I had a paper route. That was my first (laughs) job at 12. My parents said, if you want a car at 16, better start working. And so I got a paper route. 4.30 in the morning, every morning for four years, I'm up checking papers and Dirk Bentley's early stuff Mm. and Josh Turner were like my boys, like in my little, like air, like not AirPod, uh, iPod back in the day, like tucked in like pink headphones, like, like they kept me deep company on all those early morning walks. Um, 
and then and I'm like a huge bluegrass girl so like Nickel Creek has a huge part of my heart um and then the Waylon Jennies have you heard of them I mean, I know Waylon Jennings. This is something different. No, this is a trio of Canadian ladies. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. The Waylon Jennies. Oh, Jennies. Jennies. Oh, and they are just, if they're ever they're in need of a fourth them. member, ladies, <laughs> I'm available. Okay. Um, they're incredible. I, I like, I'm, I'm really drawn to like a, the little bit more like low key yet so soulful, like musician types. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's kind of, I'd like to get there myself. And then people are going to listen to the album and they're like, this sounds nothing like the Waylon Jennings or Nickel Creek. And you, you are correct. Like this is a kind of bar music <laughs> album a little bit, but yeah. So those are the folks I can think off the top of oh, Garth Brooks. Listen, he's my number one, always and forever. Yeah. Um, it's a once in a lifetime, once in a generation kind of artist. Yeah, yeah. So those, I think those are probably the folks I would say by name. Yeah. I love it. I, I can hear some of that. I love that you have songs like "Be Careful" that doesn't yeah. sound country at all, Mm-mm. and it's awesome. So I think that it, I'm just curious personally, just how you pull from those little things. I told you I was going to ask you the question we ask everybody, but I got one more for you. You mentioned on stage many a times your folks that yeah. came up a lot. Yeah. And as I think, as I think about this generation, this wave of raising littles and mm-hmm. people that are coming through, mm-hmm. um, we we're actually talking to some friends of ours the other day about, you know, being raised by our generation of parents, and then mm-hmm. what the next generation look like, and so on and so forth. So although this is not music related. I am curious about, you seem to have so much solidarity in the relationship with your family. You can just tell. Yeah. How important is that to you or was that to you? Not only through the hard times, but even as you continue doing what you're doing. This is a very bold thing that you're headed forward. How important is family to you moving into this new world? Like my parents, you know, I like I, I joke a lot about them, right? Um, and, and I, and I think maybe this frustrates my mom sometimes when I say this, but like my mother has kept me so humble in all of the right ways. This not to be arrogant, right? But like I, I started out playing piano and singing and my piano teacher was like, like, she's really good. Like you need to get, and I wanted to go do the Barney show at six, you know? And she was like, not yet, sis. And then I started figure skating and my coaches were like, you need to send her to a summer training camp out in Colorado. And my mom was like, I don't, I don't think so. I think we're good. And then I got like super into horses. Right. And, and wanted to start barrel racing and doing rodeos. And she's like, I think you should try out for the tennis team. And then I went and did tennis and I was pretty good at tennis. And it was like, okay, well maybe I could get recruited like (laughs) D two, D three, maybe. Um, and she was, and, and, you know, I got into West Point, but she had me looking at all these like little teeny tiny colleges and like no name towns in Iowa. Right. Like, like I think had I had a different mother, I would have been hyper focused on one thing and tried to be perfect at that thing from like go. And she did such a good job taking a kid who could have been pretty freaking arrogant uh, and had her head blown up by a lot of different people Um she did an incredible job of reminding me that like, no, your room must be clean. You must be kind. 
Like you don't have to be everyone's best friend, but you must be kind. Um, and, and man, what a gift it is to like be able to walk into any room and like, Oh, you're into horses. I had a horse named ghost. He sucked. Like, let's talk. You're like, Oh, you, you like figure skating? Michelle Kwan, number one, you know, like, and just like having all these like little pockets of things that I've experienced and I know how to do and, and, and can kind of make friends with anyone into anything. Um, and that, and that is a hundred percent because of Kate. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, like, she has been there for every tearful, sad phone call. Um, and my, and my dad, like, I mean, I had the idyllic childhood I had because he worked as hard as he worked and, um, got to do all of the things I wanted to try and do because he worked as hard as he worked. Um, and yeah, I mean that they have been a witness to, a, a many lives that I've lived in a short amount of time. Um, and have just been such huge cheerleaders along the way. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know totally how to express my gratitude for them. Right. Like it's Christmas is right around the corner and I'm like, the hell do you get? Like, I don't know how to get them, you know, like <laughs> to say like, thank you for all of this. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think how does, how does one accomplish anything without like a, a core crew of cheerleaders and witnesses to, to watch all the transformations and changes and stuff. And, and they are, they're the two most important for sure. I think my dad's feelings do get hurt though, because like my mom has ins- her catchphrases, her things that she used to like for now is like one of the things she said, I'm yeah. hunting for my first house and I want the six bedroom on the 18 acres, whatever. And she's like, honey, this is your first house. Yeah. You got to find something that'll do for now. Yeah. And like that has been like such a thing theme throughout wrote a whole song about it. And my dad keeps texting me like his song ideas. And I'm like, John, let's leave the songwriting to the songwriter. You know, like you think that's, you know, so I think yeah. he's trying to figure out how to start inspiring some songs. <laughs> well, I think it's clear to me when you see, and you can tell again, that's a chemistry thing that I love watching is like, you can tell that there is, there is a special thing that, I think parents in general can do that's just like this balance of keeping your child, keeping your folk, keeping the people you love humble, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. while also letting them feel like they can boldly jump into things because they're going to be there to cheer you on. And if you fall, it doesn't matter. All right, on to the next, right? And yeah. that is something that I think we can all do a better job doing for each other. So it's cool to see in real life. Yeah. I hope I could talk to you forever. Look, we ask this question to every single one of our guests mm-hmm. every time um, about what their North Star is. Mm-hmm. And so, and I get a feeling we kind of already have a general idea what that might be, but, you know, for us, it's courage and curiosity that drives how we think about things, what we decide to talk about, how we treat people. It's been a core tenant for me growing up. For you and for anybody I've seen that's seen any level of success and, and have gone through it, typically have their North Star. Mm-hmm. What are your, what's your guiding light that kind of drives your decisions and things like that and how you treat people? Yeah, I don't want this to sound tried at all. And I mean it with the utmost sincerity. Like my guiding light is the Lord. I kind of sort of grew up in and out of churches and um, having like, you know, memorized the Apostles Creed at some point and got baptized when I was 16 and, and did the thing for a while and walked away from it for a while. And, um, and, I, and I stepped like way out of line when I got married, like the number of times, like God spoke very clearly to me in my heart and through others that like, this was not the right move. And, and that disobedience, like that caused a 
real misalignment in my life and made life really hard and really rough. Um, and just kind of sitting down and going, okay, here are all the broken pieces of all the ways I have messed all this up. God help me fix this, you know? Um, that's my North star, right? It's like just checking in every day, every week, every month going like, okay, God, what's next? Like, where am I stepping next? And, and the, the best way I ever heard it phrased is, you know, Kevin Cutright, one of my dear mentors um, and friends said, you know, I think God wants to be a co-author with us on what this ride looks like. You know, mm-hmm. like there may be a preordained destiny who knows. Right. He's like, but I like to think of it as a co-authored paper, you know, like you have an idea, he has an idea and like who's driving the train at any point in time, like it should really pre- be a joint endeavor. And I think since the divorce and since stepping back into music, like I feel very strongly that this is what he's called me to do. And, and the path seems pretty wide open. I don't maybe know every next step, but, um, but I know I'm going to keep asking him like, okay, left foot, right foot, like, where are we going? Um, and just trust that I know I can't do it. <laughs> I've made all the wrong <laughs> decisions and I have, uh, all the battle scars to prove it. Um, and yeah, so I'm just, I'm going to keep asking him where, where we're going. Well, I think there's a, it might be some of the top North Stars, if not the top yeah. one. So thanks for sharing that, Hope. And thanks for doing all you do. I think not only are you pursuing your dream and putting great music out there that moves people, but I think you're giving folks, whether you realize it or not, permission to do something that is not the path of expectation for folks. There's something freeing about the thought that somebody could be living that life. And mm-hmm. I think that for a lot of whether you're a professional out there or whatever, it's really cool to go, well, that lady's pretty squared away and she seems to be doing a crazy thing. So maybe I should consider that, (laughs) you know, but it's not crazy when you see you on stage, you're like, that's exactly where she needs to be. So thanks for all you do and keep doing it. Hope McGregor, music, follow you, matriarchs out. Mm -hmm. Anything else you want folks to know? I think think you hit it big, brother. I think we got it, yeah. (laughs) Man, well, thanks for taking this time. It's so good to make this trip out here in Tennessee to talk to you, and we cannot wait to go watch you at the Astrodome, the Ryman, or wherever you're going to be in years to come. <laughs> Just pick up the phone. Keep picking up the phone yeah. whenever we do golf. Sounds good. Sounds good. Love it. Thanks, y'all.